Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Religion Prof Podcast. I'm delighted to have as my guest today, Kimberly Winston, who is a journalist with whom I've spoken on um, past occasions about the intersection of religion and science fiction. And when I learned that um, Kimberly is going to be the moderator of a panel that's uh, coming up this Thursday that I'm on about the intersection of religion and science fiction, I said, oh, we've got to have a conversation beforehand and just get, get, the, get the ball rolling and start our uh, processes uh, of thinking going and also give ourselves a chance to both brainstorm some things that would probably be really worth saying there, but also give ourselves a chance to speak more freely with no time constraints or anything. Um, obviously, I will still keep this to the appropriate length for a podcast, um, in case you're wondering, but uh, give ourselves the chance just to um, reconnect and chat and uh, also promote uh, and highlight the fact that this uh, great thing is happening and that it's going to be a really fantastic uh, conversation on Thursday as well. So Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, sure. I'm excited. So there are journalists with all kinds of uh, areas of specialization. And uh, if you're someone like me, uh, a religion scholar who knows that uh, journalism can do wonderful, helpful things in getting the word out about uh, where things are going, what's happening, or can report on things in, in ways that as academics were like, oh no, that's not how, <laughs> that's not how it should have been said. And so I've really appreciated uh, the things that you've uh, written about religion. Um, but how does somebody end up working on and focusing on news about the intersection of religion and science fiction? Mm. Well, um, I've always been interested, well, I've always been a religion reporter. Religion has just always interested me throughout my whole life. So when I became a reporter, I really wanted to be a religion reporter. And, you know, once you start, I mean, it sounds terrible, but, you know, to a person with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> so to a religion reporter, it's like everything looks like religion to me. Some, most of the time, you know, I, I'm wrong, but some of the times I'm right. So every time I go to a movie, pick up a book, a magazine, um, buy a, a, a record album or something like that, I, that prism of seeing things with my religion glasses is always there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm right, oh my gosh, you know, there is a there there. And sometimes I'm wrong. And I don't consider myself a science fiction fan, um, which is interesting. Like I used to, ugh, I don't want to go to science fiction movies. I don't want to go, you know, I certainly wouldn't read any. Um, but boy, I love Star Trek. And boy, I loved, you know, uh, Star Wars. And uh, it wasn't long after that that I started watching Battlestar Galactica. And then I started picking up Octavia Butler. Mm. Um, and, you know, you just, I, I enjoyed those things, those aspects of the genre that included religion or spirituality even more. Because um, to me, it gave it a depth and a resonance that it otherwise didn't have for me. Um, and I th just thought, you know, I think I've been writing about religion and science fiction off and on since I, I looked this up just 
this week since 2000. So mm. um, it's just kind of always been an interest of mine. Yeah, I have to ask a follow-up question just because if you love Star Trek and Star Wars yeah. and Battlestar Galactica and Octavia <laughs> Butler, then in what sense are you not a science fiction fan? <laughs> um, I guess for me, uh, and my husband and I talk about this a lot because he's heavy-duty science fiction guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like what they, what do they call it? Hard science fiction? Where it's all... Well, it's not all, but it has a lot of really heavy technical stuff in it. I like this, the more softer science fiction mm-hmm. where I don't have to worry about, wait, how, do, how does the Millennium Falcon work? Or, um, you know, how, what, what are they, the, the full-ton torpedoes? You know, I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about how those work. I just accept that it works. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I should let you know that you just alienated a certain category of Star <laughs> Trek fans who consider Star Trek hard science fiction, even though uh, dilithium crystals, warp drive, is that like, you know, transporters, are these yeah. likely to be actual technologies? Yes. Um, no, probably not. And in fact, one of the um, you know, interesting tidbits about um, script writing that I learned as I you know, explored my own fandom was that you know, script writers would regularly uh, just insert the word tech in capital yes. letters and then pass it on to someone to say, you know, there's a problem with the uh, flux capacitors yes. uh, <laughs> reversing of the polarity of the neutron flow you know, yes. and things like that. And it's you know, quasi-scientific gobbledygook, as it were. Yes. And that, that in itself, I think, is interesting, right? Because... Hmm. I'm, I'm a big fan of some of the, you know, what you categorized as soft science fiction. I, I love Doctor Who, where if you yeah. try to explain it or <laughs> make logical sense of it a lot of the time, it's like, um, no, this isn't working, right? Exactly. Um, but Doctor Who is the example I go to when I talk with students or anyone else for that matter about, you know, what's the difference between uh, science fiction and fantasy? Uh, yeah. And Doctor Who is clearly science fiction. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, that's the category it's in. But you could tell the same story in which the main character is a wizard rather than mm-hmm. an alien. And he has a magic box rather than a box that works through some kind of alien technology. Right. And encounters monsters rather than aliens. Right. In fact, it's not clear. You know, he says at one point, there's a, an episode where he's like, you know, he's traveled so much through time and space. And one of the things he's learned is monsters are real. Right, um, right. And so is this fantasy? Is it science fiction? Yes, is mm-hmm. my answer, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, you know, you're, I, I loved your answer to that. Uh, the other thing I immediately, as somebody who thinks about religion and science fiction uh, from a number of angles, you know, I immediately, you know, was struck by uh, your comparison of your own fandom to somebody else's, right? Mm-hmm. And the other place where I encounter that a lot is, you know, someone who'll say, you know, well, I'm not really religious. I, you know, I go to church yeah. a lot and I do this, I do that, <laughs> but I'm not as religious as this other person who's really diehard, right? You know, you're right. You're right. Yeah. That's so interesting. So I guess I do like science fiction. Is that what you're telling me? Um, I really am a fan. <laughs> well, I think you need to make up your own mind, um, but I'm, I'm glad we talked about it and that you're thinking about it. But you know, I, that's interesting. Yeah. I do have to yeah. think about that. I, I thought maybe it's my snooty, my snooty patootie um, um, English 
uh, education where I'm thinking, oh, I don't, I don't really mm. like that. You know, like I think I only like the more literary or mm. um, human focused science fiction. Like I think Star Trek and Star Wars and 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 I'm trying to think of Battlestar Galactica, especially, have such a heavy focus on the human relationships, uh, the the very human questions about you know. Who are we? Why are we here? What is my purpose? And that's what interests me, how they answer those questions against the backdrop of the story and, and the, the moral, sometimes religious universe of the story. Um, but you're right. You know, I also just kind of think um, Captain Picard was hot. And I also think, you know, Captain Kirk was really hot. And so I should just say I am a fan. Well, welcome aboard then. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the club. Thank um, you. But I think there's really something interesting about, you know, the fact that, you know, there are, you know, there are a number of parallels that um, I've sometimes thought about between uh, science fiction fandom and, you know, religious devotion um, and religious belonging. Uh, right. But this, this one about sort of the, the degrees of fandom mm-hmm. is one that I think has always been there in my mind. I mean, I've thought about the fact that you can approach texts of Star Trek or Doctor Who in this determined these things have to be harmonized because they're sort of sacred, you know, in a way mm-hmm. that kind of parallels, you know, sort of a fundamentalist approach to the Bible. But hadn't really thought about the way people might say, well, I'm not really a, a fan of the genre because I know there are people who are so much more dedicated to it or right. appreciate it at a different level than I do. And I think that, you know, as an educator, you know, and as somebody who's also branched out into teaching about another area of the intersection of um, Bible and popular culture of Bible and music. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to get students because this is a core curriculum class, not for music majors to, if there's one thing they take away from the class, I want it to be that it's worth engaging with music, enjoying music, making music at any level you can and that Mm -hmm. you find meaningful. Right. Mm -hmm. And so write science fiction, even if it's not great science fiction, you never publish it. Read science fiction, even if you don't love it as much as other people, you know, whatever your level. And just because you're worried that religion is going to be a great commitment of time and energy because your uh, friend, spouse, roommate, whoever it is, is all caught up in it in this particular way, dabble and explore, right? Uh, Don't let, don't let somebody else's, um, dedication of time actually hinder you from finding meaning in your own way with either of these traditions. Hmm. You know, that's interesting too. Now you've got me all re-examining my whole <laughs> framework of how I feel about science fiction. And originally I just started thinking, you know, I used to think, oh, I don't like Philip K. Dick. That's, that's too high tech for me. I don't like Philip K. Dick. Hmm. Then I started watching The Man in the High Castle. And suddenly I love Philip K. Dick. And I went mm-hmm. back and I watched again um, uh, Blade Runner. And things that I did not like about that movie that freaked me out about that movie when I was, what, 20 when it came out? And things that I, that it resonated with me now completely resonated differently with me. Mm. And um, so, so I think you're right. It's like a level of fandom, but I think it also has to do with what do I want to say? Like your personal receptors for 
the yeah. science fiction or whatever. Like, you know, my, my receptors for science fiction with or without big spiritual themes was different at age 20 mm. than it is now that I'm much, much older. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, because I think about the questions that those uh, films or books raised completely differently now. Right. Yeah. Oh, and that's that's just really interesting. I think um, I hadn't thought about it in quite that way. You know, the fact that there is a parallel between uh, religion and its stories and its teachings and things like that, and science fiction in terms of the fact that at different stages in our lives uh, we will appreciate them or sometimes fail to appreciate them in different ways. Oh, yeah. And that's something that certainly some approaches to fandom and some religious traditions mm -hmm. actually try to sort of argue against, right? You should mm -hmm. remain with, you know, the, the faith once delivered mm. in, in the exact package in which we give it to you in your childhood. And that faith could be either, um, you know, Trekkie or Christian, you know, or whatever right. else. But in fact, our engagement with any text, any story, any, um, ideology, any conceptuality, any worldview, any set of values has to change, should change as, as we mature, as we grow. Sure. Yeah. Well, like, for example, okay, so I was a kid. I grew up on the very first repeats of the first Star Trek, so I wasn't, I wasn't around when it first aired mm. in the late 60s. I mean, I was around, but I was way too little to watch it. But growing up, like a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, I watched those original Star Treks every day after school, six o'clock, channel 11. Um, and they became really big touchstones for me, like certain of the episodes that dealt with um, um, prejudice, racial prejudice. Remember the one with the half black and the half white? Mm -hmm. And one was yeah. somebody, a, a listener will know exactly which one, you know. One guy was white on the left side and the other guy was yeah. white on the right side and they hated each other. And as a child, watching that particular episode and other Star Trek episodes that dealt heavily with, you know, questions that religion also tackles. Oh my gosh, those things got in, inside me. I mean, I took them as, for lack of a better word, gospel. You know, they mm -hmm. became teachings to me. Now, when I watch a rerun of some of those episodes on, uh, uh, I don't know, TV Land, or no, I think BBC America's running um, the old Star Trek, I still love them, but I go to them, when I watch them, the overriding sense that I have is of a touchstone. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like it, Like there's this nostalgia and... If I were to watch that episode again, I would be in my head, remember when I learned this, you know, that, that racial prejudice was wrong and mm -hmm. I learned this through Star Trek at the same time that I was learning it in school and in church. And my reaction to it now would be, it might be because of the times we're living in, oh, isn't that quaint? Hmm. And, but that doesn't mean I don't still absorb the, tr you know, what I consider yeah. to be the truth of that. But my relationship to that truth has changed. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
I've, I've gotten stalled uh, in my project to do so, partly because I have had new science fiction uh, to mm -hmm. watch. But one of the things I do when I don't have something that's on presently that I am trying to keep up on mm -hmm. is to go back and watch uh, older series. So actually, I'm still, I'm still not quite done with the blog series on it, but uh, work my way through classic Doctor Who. Yes. Oh, yeah, sure. All, all of it. Um, yeah. And um, have started rewatching. started rewatching a while back the um, original series of Star Trek. Yeah. Oh God, I love and, it so and, much. And it's 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 wonderful. And in so many ways, it stands the test of time. Yeah. Um, in so many ways, the future technology looks antiquated. Watching yes, it now, but right? it's adorable. But you know? yeah, right. Yeah. And we can appreciate it. Um, oh, totally. But the thing that was exciting to us, you know, about this vision of future technology is now this thing that we we kind of like. If we can appreciate the story, it's because we realize that that's not the point. Mm -hmm. uh, the point is something deeper. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and yet another series from that same time that doesn't stand up to that test for me is uh, Lost in Space. Mm. Like, you know, that just is not, it just wasn't deep. I mean, they're different. Mm. They're, they're bit apples and oranges because Lost in Space was also supposed to be kind of funny. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's why the old Star Trek is worth rewatching is because those, the, the issues it tackled, they don't go away, right? Essentially yeah. they don't change. So, you, you know, the transformer might change and the, the, you know, the adorable little lights on the, uh, on the deck in the 1960s yeah. that we used to think was so high tech and now is laughable. It doesn't mm. matter because the the truths, the moral truths of many of those stories don't change. And that's not true of something else like Lost in Space. Yeah. And yet, haven't they just made a remake of Lost in Space? Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, to, to some of the most widespread and widely known religious stories are, of course, um, classics. Mm -hmm. um, in the sense that they've, they're things that have stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, if you go back into the history of them, there were lots of variations and lots of ideas. And uh, these things have found their way down to us partly as a result of, you know, historical circumstances that fostered that, but partly because people have continued to find them valuable and meaningful and Absolutely. pass them along, pass along their um, their appreciation their fandom if you will yep and yeah so rewatching classic star trek the thing that just was the most jarring to me was um the the degree of sexism oh yeah and yeah. so for a show which you know i mean you mentioned uh, the episode i think is if, if i remember correctly it's um uh, let this be your last battlefield i think was the okay. name of the episode with the you know half black half whites it's it's making oh, is that it yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's making great social commentary and doing it in a way that illustrates so perfectly what sci-fi can do, right? Mm -hmm. Through its imaginative worlds, right? Yep. How do you talk about race in a pointed way when it's like a black versus white, you know, social context, mm -hmm. make them half black, half white. It's like, but on different sides, mm -hmm. right? So that you can't just say, 
you know, these ones are darker, these ones are lighter, and it's, it's, it's exactly like this. It's actually, it's cutting right down the middle in a way that is actually, you know, forcing you to think beyond the binaries in, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, it's so provocative. And one of the things that makes sci-fi powerful, even though when we watch it later, we see that it's, it's guesswork about the future. It's um, even it's uh, thinking about gender race sometimes falls short of uh, what we would hope for if we were uh, crafting sure. a narrative now, but it nonetheless illustrates the capacity of sci-fi to engage in really powerful social commentary and to do so in a way that, well, it has options open to it that are not open to you if you're telling a story in the real world. Exactly. Right? Where, where right. there are no aliens who, are, who could be, you know, different shades and, you know, different appearances completely to what we find right. among human beings. Right. No, I know what you're talking about. I think I can, what popped into my head right when you said that, the image that popped into my head right when you said that about um, the sexism. Wasn't there an episode in which Captain Kirk, he sends his ensign, uh, who had, I can't remember her name, but she had that beautiful sort of woven blonde mm-hmm. hair up on top of her head. <laughs> he sent his ensign out for coffee. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And in another one, he smacked her on the behind. Yeah, there's that. And then there's comments about sort of, I mean, on the one hand, you have female officers on the bridge and people of all sorts of races. But on the other hand, you know, there is, you know, there's a whole episode where, you know, this, uh, this woman essentially steals Captain Kirk's body, but Mm -hmm. she -hmm. was not allowed to pursue becoming a starship captain because it's not a line of work open to women. It's like, You're not you're not being imaginative enough in <laughs> this vision of the future. You know, if you're trying to, you know, imagine a future in which there's equality, then you're missing an opportunity to comment on right. something, right? Right. So yeah, um, and it's always, you know, it's it's interesting. The same sorts of issues come up when reading, you know, biblical texts. Yeah. In which. You know, it, it may be that it says something, you know, where, you know, women are not given opportunities to teach and things like that. And it's, it reflects sort of some, something to do, you know, some sort of patriarchal values and things like that. And yet, mm-hmm. in the context, was it, you know, in the fact that it's giving women the opportunity to learn, is it actually, you know, progressive, even if from our perspective, we wish it might wish it had gone further, you know? Right. And so learning how to recognize when something that might just seem, you know, quaint, as I think you put it earlier, or antiquated, mm-hmm. actually may have been, you know, progressive and challenging in its context. And, exactly. And might yeah. have contributed to us being at the point where we look back on it and say, you know, oh, how quaint or oh, you know, yeah. gosh, oh, how patriarchal and, um, you know, first century Eastern Mediterranean or whatever, right? Sure, sure. Um, but if we fail to be able to engage in that kind of imaginative exercise of saying, okay, but what did this mean when the story was told, then we're, we're not able to hear it or appreciate it in, um, in some of its richness yeah. at least. Yeah. And I don't think whether you're talking about a biblical text or um, a, sci- a Star Trek episode that, you know, even if something like the Star Trek episode that where Captain Kirk smacks the ensign on the behind or um, the biblical letter that says women, you know, should keep quiet in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think, 
at least not for me, I can't say for anybody else, that that means we should, you know, throw those away, never look at them again. Um, there's still other wonderful things in them that are worth keeping with us, no matter how far away we get from their time of origin. But yeah, I think you have to put those, I have to, think you have to read those things in the context of the time that they were written or created and, you know, take what you can. So see, I would be terrible on the Supreme Court because I would not be an originalist, right? I would be, <laughs> I would be, um, I would be uh, one who interprets everything for, for contemporary time. So what, well, you know, I, I would not get confirmed by the Senate, but you know, I think you should keep the good things of the old Star Trek or, or the biblical text or whatever it may be and not let the bad uh, ruin those things for you. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'll still watch Star Trek, even though yes, it's, it's sexist, but I know it's sexist. So I can enjoy it knowing that, yeah, it's going to have these things in it and I just ignore them. Yeah. Or maybe even more than ignore them, you know, in, engage them and, you know, be able sure. to be sort of yeah. a fan and yet, critical um mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting that you mentioned you know the sort of originalist versus other approaches to things like the constitution mm -hmm. uh, i'm actually hoping to write something on that and exploring how that issue is very similar to something that comes up in religion as far mm -hmm. as you know text text focused religion is concerned mm -hmm. uh, and we're always reading texts in relation to our own time and anyone who says that they are an, orig or an originalist or, you know, a, a biblical inerrantist or whatever, where right. they are, you know, the text is sacrosanct and I do everything that it says. I don't do anything it doesn't right. say. And I are, it's, you know, it's, it never, that never seems from my perspective to correspond to the reality that I see going on. And I say that as someone who used to inhabit that sort of approach to things. Mm. Um, but, you know, from my perspective, you know, there, there are always things that you know, if you are going to try to say, like, Star Trek is is progressive, it's visionary, and it, it always gets it right, then you're going to be either ignoring some things, or leaving right. some things out, or right. interpreting them in ways that are different because of those concerns than they would have been understood in their original context. Right. And so I'd I'd dispute whether there really are any originalists. Um, I think mm -hmm. originalism tends to. Uh, be selective, uh, whether it's a biblical originalism or a constitutional originalism or a, a Star Trek originalism. I think you're probably right. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I think everything is yeah. shades of gray, you know, especially yeah. these days when everything appears to be so black and white for some people. I think everything is in shades of gray. And if you ignore those shades of gray um, in whatever it is, you know, science fiction, the Constitution, the, the interpretation of the Constitution, or the Bible, um, you're cutting yourself off from possible growth. And, you know, you have to grow to live. So, mm. yeah, but I think you're right. It's selective. Like, I'll say, well, I'll grow here, but not there. And, and yeah. that's, that ain't right. That yeah. ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> I have spoken. That ain't yeah. right. And that's, and I think you're right that that ain't right. And I think that's a, a good note on which to uh, begin wrapping things up probably. Uh, but I'm so glad we had this conversation just because I, I'm sure that on Thursday we would have uh, found ourselves wandering down some of these um, avenues and getting into some of these details that yes. really 
a single panel with lots of speakers and an audience Q&A doesn't really give us time for. Exactly. <laughs> so, okay, but wait, I have to yeah. put you on the spot. I have to ask you a question. Okay, absolutely. Okay. All right. What is your favorite? Don't you hate these questions? What absolutely. is your, your favorite? I think I want to know your favorite book that blends religion and science fiction. Oh. And I have mine, but I'm not as wide read yeah. as you are in this field. Yeah. But I'm interested to know what yours is. I'm always looking for a new good book. Uh, there are a lot of them. Yeah. And I know that that sounds like I'm going to cop out, but I will, I will pick something eventually. You get one. I promise, right? <laughs> but I, I think that it's always fair when you ask somebody to pick one for them to be able to list the ones that they're not choosing. Oh, but all right. Seconds or thirds or things like that. <laughs> and I think the thing is that, you know, it comes up in so many, uh, so many places, in so many uh, sometimes unexpected ways. I mean, you mentioned Octavia Butler and, I yeah. Mean, you know, the, the parable of the sower, the parable of the yeah. talents. You know, there's so much engagement with religion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, John Scalzi, who's on the panel um, mm -hmm. this Thursday, when I read Red Shirts, I mm -hmm. didn't expect there to be such an element of religion in it. Um, mm -hmm. It was just fascinating. Um, but I think that my favorite is mm -hmm. actually um, Dan Simmons' Hyperion. Oh, Okay. And even as I said that, there's actually another one that I'm like, oh, how uh -oh. did I not mention that? All right. Um, but I'll go with Dan. I said it, so I'll go with it. But almost tied for first place, um, another one that I really love is uh, Mary Doria Russell. Yes, the sparrow. the sparrow and Children of God. You know, and again, there it's like basically she she wrote two books. She she yeah. was already writing the second one before the first one was out. It's you know they yeah. sort of go together. But and the Dan Simmons one, there's actually a you know, there's, there are four books that he wrote in which he mm. further explores the story. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just having such a hard time with this. But yeah, the Dan Simmons one, actually, I just found really engaging uh, because one of the characters was somebody who had thought deeply about the biblical story about yeah. uh, Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac. Mm -hmm. And so... It was an exploration of science fiction, of humanity's future, all the things that you love in sci-fi, regardless of whether it engages directly and explicitly with religion. But right. it also had engagement, not just with religion, which I would have loved and found interesting and would have you know, said, I would say, this is fantastic. Yeah. But with the Bible in an interesting way. Yeah. And so I, I, I really enjoyed that book in that series okay now i'm gonna go get that yeah. it's on my husband's okay. shelf now is dan simmons not the same guy that wrote the terror that i'm not sure and that's I'm a, gonna it's look interesting it up, right? i yeah i would be interested to know that because i was browsing yeah uh some uh you know the sci-fi section yeah. of a uh, used bookstore and saw dan simmons as author of some things that were in the horror genre yes and, and I, he did he like, wrote the terror and the terror was just a, um, oh gosh, was a BBC or F, I don't know, somebody, AMC, 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 just did a series of The Terror, and it was superb, should watch it, it's more speculative fiction than science fiction, mm. but it's based on actual historical events, and it does again deal with this idea of 
some some religious questions, not biblical questions, but some of the big questions like, you know, do we are we in control? Um, um, can man actually be, um, 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 you know, in charge of the world, a creator? You know, do we have dominion? And oh boy, that was a good book, and a, I thought it was an even better television series. Okay, so you had you named two, and one of them was mine. I was going to say the sparrow. Oh wow! Okay, so then I can just take that off and let that be yours. No, and we each no. get one, right? So then there we go. <laughs> Although I, I love the fact that we converged on that. Uh, oh, I love yeah. that book. Everybody should read that yeah. book. And then my, but ne'er well, maybe not. Maybe it's a tie. Maybe it's a tie yeah. for first place. Okay, we both get to tie. That's good. Okay, okay. and okay. I feel better about my not being All right. not sticking so, to your rules. <laughs> that's fine. That's good. So my tie is for uh, uh, the Sparrow uh, by Mary Doria Russell. To, which I did not read the sequel because the first book screwed me up so bad. I mean, there wow. are things in that book mm. that haunt me so badly. I can't read the second one and no spoilers. So, and the other book is the book of strange new things by Michelle Faber. Oh yeah. You read that? Not yet. I'm it's, it's on my radar and it's one that I'm looking forward to reading. Whoa, that's a good book. It's about, about, uh, well, it has some similarities to the sparrow in that, you know, uh, uh, a missionary goes to another planet mm -hmm. and, but, and it doesn't work out so good, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, wow. Yeah. So those two books would be my favorites. Wow. Yeah. And then followed quickly by Oryx and Crake. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and have you read the sequels to that? Yes, yes. But I think yeah. the, first, the first one and the third one were my favorites. That's interesting. I actually, the last time, no, the time before last, I taught religion science fiction. Um, yeah. And I've changed the novel every year oh, yeah. that I've done it. Um, so uh, the first time I taught it, it was, I think it was uh, Mary Doria Russell. And then yeah. uh, once I had them read um, Robert J. Sawyer, Calculating God. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, which was a good one. And then actually tried throwing students into uh, the second uh, book in that uh, series, the uh, Man uh, Adams trilogy, yeah. uh, just because I, just it explored, that was the, the, the one of the three that really dug into the uh, religious community that well, was sort of true. in yeah. there. And part of it was, you know, somebody who likes music as well. The fact that there was this, like this, these quotes from their hymn book, right? That were yes, there and things like I that. I just, about that. Yeah. So, uh, but I just, you know, I, I wrestled with which of those to include. And yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, Margaret Atwood uh, is obviously getting uh, increasing attention with the, yeah. uh, the uh, turning of uh, The Handmaid's Tale into a very, very popular uh, yeah. television show. And she's always uh, not liked, uh, just as you didn't classify yourself as a science fiction fan. <laughs> she has not liked to have her work categorized as science fiction. Yeah. Probably for some of the same reasons, I imagine. Mm -hmm. But uh, what's interesting is that, you know, the Oryx and Crake uh, uh, novel and it's, uh, it's uh, the trilogy that's part of, if anything deserves to be called science yeah. fiction, that yeah. does because it really is about, you know, bioengineering and technology. And yeah. it is very much an effort to do hard science fiction, as you called it, um, 
in that sort of way to ask about things that are sort of near future and the trajectory that we're on. So again, yeah. the social commentary aspect is you know a great part of that too. And really, you're right. It it is heavy on the on the science. I I but it but I I I wasn't weighed down by that. Yeah. So that because I was so wrapped up in the story of this man yeah. and how he got there. I'm a sucker for a good apocalyptic tale. Mm. Sucker. Yeah. And of course, apocalyptic is another one of those points of intersection between yeah. uh, religion and science fiction as yeah. well. Um, now, see, I could talk yeah. to you about books all day. We could talk all day. We could. And maybe <laughs> what we need to do is say we're going to, um, we're going to do another one of these. <gasps> I would love to. Okay, wonderful. Well, then uh, in that one, we might talk about, you know, apocalyptic. Um, we'll talk about books. We'll, what's the difference? You know, what's the connection between terror and sci-fi, which of course oh, came out this time. Oh, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So yeah. we, can, uh, we can follow up and have um, at least one more conversation. I, I would love that. I suspect that at the end of the next one, we'll probably be looking ahead to yet another <laughs> Knowing Us. Awesome. Awesome. But I'm looking forward to as many more <laughs> as um, we end up having. Oh, um, that's wonderful. Is there anything else that uh, listeners ought to hear about the upcoming uh, Religion News Association conference and the panel there uh, before we uh, say goodbye for this particular episode? You know, I think that, that uh, as they have done in the past, they're going to eventually, they won't, I don't think they're able to live stream. I'm not sure. I'll find out when we get there. But they will... Um, video and record the panel oh, great. so it will be available for you to you know put on your website or put a put uh, a link on the podcast page um should be great it should be really great it's going to be i'm going to moderate it's going to be you it's going to be john scalzi it's going to be faro faro rishi and um uh david williams who wrote when the english fall so it's going to be really interesting yeah well, I will certainly uh, blog about uh, my experience there at some point and, you know, um, loop people in and we may do a follow-up podcast sometime in the future. And of course, when there's video or audio or both available from the actual panel, yep. um, I'll certainly share that on my blog and elsewhere. But I think for today, uh, I will simply thank you so much for being <laughs> here on the podcast and uh, say goodbye to the listeners and thank you once again for listening and for just geeking out with us and enjoying this conversation along with us. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed listening in on it as much as uh, we've enjoyed having it. Thanks and uh, bye for now. Thank you. That was fun. Thank you.